Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today we continue our study of Sefer Melachim with Perak Yudbet, chapter 12. At the end of last Perak, Shlomo passed away, and his son, Rechavam, succeeds him. But as we know from David, from Shlomo, from Shaul before them, Ein Melech Am, a king is not a king until he is accepted by the people, until Rechavam requires a kind of public, uh, a proper public coronation ceremony. And so the nation gathers in Shechem to coronate him. Now, it's significant that it's in Shechem. It's an interesting choice. On a practical level, you could say Shechem has, uh, is very clearly a, a place that is suitable for large gatherings. A number of previous large gatherings have taken place in Shechem already in, uh, in Nevi'im, in Nevi'im Rishonim. Uh, so maybe it's just pragmatic. However, it's certainly notable that it takes place in Shechem, which is in the tribe of Ephraim and not in Yerushalayim or even Hebron, which would be in Yehuda, And that would kind of be a natural place for this coronation to happen for a king who is from Yehuda and whose seat of power is in Yerushalayim. And we could read that in one of two ways. You could say that it's savvy political maneuvering by Rechavam, who wants to play to uh, people who might be his political adversaries. He wants to appease them. He wants to make them feel uh, included. And so he is trying to reach out to, uh, to the people of Ephraim. But if you read the first passage carefully, it seems that the people have chosen Shechem. It seems that uh, Rechavam is, is told where to go, and it's the people's choice. They want to go to Shechem, in which case it might betray a, a kind of political weakness of Rechavam in this moment. And I think that that latter position is, uh, is the more convincing of the two. It ties into something that we'll say, that we'll, we'll uh, consider in a little bit. In addition to that, Shechem is also a place that has historical significance. It's the place where Yosef is sent to go find the brothers in the episode which culminates in his sale, which is this kind of great expression of the division between the children of Rachel and the children of Leah, which is the result of the imbalance of love that Yaakov shows to these two wives. And it's a division that again becomes painfully relevant in this perek with the emergence of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom being led by Yeravam, as we will learn. He is from Ephraim, from the children of Rachel. Whereas the southern kingdom is led by Rechavam, who is from Malchus based David, from the tribe of Yehuda, meaning from the children of Leah. So we have these kind of old divisions that are going to become very relevant once again, unfortunately, in this parak. And it's certainly notable that Shechem, which plays such a key role in the, the story of, of Yosef and his brothers, it's, it's now again the locus of this, uh, of this point in, of division. A lot of layers to this uh, coronation happening in Shechem. Okay, when Yeravam, uh, we'll recall Yeravam last parak, we learned he was this tax collector. He was the one who pushed back on Shlomo for having raised taxes for this Milo project. So a- as a result of this rivalry, Yeravam ends up having to flee. He, went, he was exiled to Egypt. And then when he hears that Rechavam is now being coronated in the place of Shlomo, so Yeravam returns to Israel. He approaches Rechavam together with a delegation of, of leaders, and he asks Rechavam if he would, as the king, lighten the burden of, uh, of tax that Shlomo had placed upon the nation. Rechavam asks for three days to make a decision, uh, which already, uh, once again, I'll say, reflects a certain weakness. He's not able to have a decisive response. He just he, he kicks the can down the road, and, and he goes and he seeks counsel uh, from a number of people. First, he asks the kind of the old guard, his old wise advisors, uh, what he should do. Should he honor this request? Should he not honor this request? 
and they tell him that the, that he should listen to the people. He should win them over with his kindness, and then they will serve him eternally. But Rechavam then wants a second opinion, and he turns to his buddies, his childhood friends who are now his advisors. He's surrounded himself with with these these men, and the text belittles them; it calls them children. Rechavam was forty. So these were not children, but clearly these buddies of his were this kind of, I think we're meant to see them as this kind of spoiled elite class, right? Who's the, who are the buddies of, of the prince? It's other wealthy kids. They're these kind of immature, spoiled elites. Uh, and they advise Rechavim to go in the complete opposite direction. They say, you should tell the people that not only am I not going to be easier on you than my father was, but I'm going to be much more harsh, much more demanding, much more strict. They want Rechavim to, show, uh, to, show, to have a show of force, to solidify his power and uh, to so that he, he shouldn't be seen as weak, as a pushover. Perhaps you could say that this bears some relationship to the fact that the carnation was in Shechem. That betrayed a kind of political weakness. And they're saying, no, you need to show, uh, show your strength and to show yourself to be firmly in power. Rechavam, unfortunately, ends up following this advice, the advice of his uh, man-child friends. And after three days, Yeravim returns with the delegation, and Rechavim tells them that he is, in fact, going to be even tougher than Shlomo. He denies their request and, and says, I'm going in the opposite direction. Then once word gets out that this was his decision, the northern tribes uh, rebel. And they echo the words that we, we, we first heard from Shemi ben Geira when he was trying to foment rebellion against uh, David kicking him at his low point, right? He says, "Ma lanu," or rather, they say here, "Ma lanu chelak b'David v'nachla b'ben Yisrael." Right? It's very similar to the words of Shimon ben Gera. What portion do we have with David? Neither have we the inheritance in the son. Have neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse of Yishai. Everyone, go back to your tents. And with that, the nation uh, has has split. Before I go on, I just want to note a few, I think, very interesting things. The first is a, it's kind of a broad point, and that is that this text opens up to us a completely new vantage point from which to view Shlomo's rule. Up until now, excluding some very subtle cues, we've only really learned about the great success of Shlomo uh, and his kingdom and the, the prosperity of his kingdom, obviously barring the religious failure in the last parak, but in terms of his the kingdom, one with one gets a, a very positive view, a very sanguine view of what it was like to live in in uh, in Israel at this time under the rule of Shlomo. However, we had very little insight into the experience of the common man in Israel. Now, for the first time, we get a real look at kind of the dark side of Shlomo's opulent life, and we see that it came at to some extent, to a large extent, at the cost of the nation, that the people are choking under the burden of the tax that was levied upon them. It reminds me a bit of the transition from Sefer Yehoshua to Shoftim. In Yehoshua, things seem so rosy, so perfect. But then once we get to Shoftim, we see the real cost of the failures of Yehoshua, the dark side of Sefer Yehoshua, the, the, the parts of the land that are unconquered end up festering, becoming a, a point of, of great uh, suffering for the nation. I think in a similar way, the same thing is happening here. First, we get this very sanguine, uh, this very positive, rosy view of, of Shlomo's rule. And now, after Shlomo has passed, we, we're now getting kind of the underbelly. We're seeing the dark side. We're seeing the cost. Uh, so it's interesting the way uh, we see in, uh, in Nach, the, the way those, that a kind of story can be bifurcated and, and we can get the positive all at once and then we get the, we get the negative later. 
Um, so I think we're, we're getting something similar here. So that's just one kind of interesting thing. This is a, a totally different insight, a totally different vantage point from which to assess Shlomo's kingship. Another fascinating note is just looking at the names of these two emerging protagonists, they'll ultimately be protagonist and antagonist, um, but the names of Yeravam and Rechavam are quite telling here. On the one hand, we have Rechavam. What does Rechavam mean? It means something to the effect of a wide nation, a far-reaching nation, meaning Rechavam's name reflects this idea that the nation should be this huge empire, that it should have a, a large, thriving bureaucratic entity. It's this vision for, uh, you know, following in Shlomo's footsteps, a large nation and a large government. On the other hand, we have Yeravam, which means he will fight for the people, which, you know, could not be more different than Rechavam. And, and it could well have been Yeravam's slogan. It was his message. He was a man of the people fighting for the average man, trying to lower taxes Etc. So the names here, uh, even though they sound similar, are actually uh, very instructive and very telling and very suited, each one for each character. Moving on, the nation then splits the northern tribes, which uh, are led by B'nai Yosef, the tribes of Yosef. They follow Yeravam. The southern tribes uh, of Yehuda, Yamin, and Shimon in there, in the mix, follow Rechavam. And uh, that's, of course, not surprising, as he is from Yehuda. Rechavam then makes uh, another misstep. He sends his tax collector to the north. Why does he do that? So it may have been to try and appease the rebels. Maybe he, he it was going to walk back some of his draconian measures that he was uh, going to undertake. Might have been to appease them. Or it might have been to try and defiantly impose the measures that he had described uh, and to basically say, I'm not going to allow you to rebel. I'm I'm not going to permit this kind of coup. I'm going to continue on with business as usual, and you will, you know, honor me. You will follow my rule. Um, We don't really know how to understand the the intention behind sending his tax collector, but ultimately it does not go well. The people in the north, they stone the tax collector, and uh, obviously they kill him, and the division uh, becomes very firmly entrenched between the north and the south. Rechavam gathers a massive army, 180,000 men, uh, going uh, to, uh, to prepare to quell this rebellion, to be sent north, and it looks like we're on the, the brink of a very bloody and protracted civil war. But um, then Shemaiah, the Navi, tells Rechavam not to try and reconquer the north. He says that Hashem has caused this division. It's the punishment for Shlomo. Hashem, in a certain respect, has put a stamp on this and that this is, this is the way it is now. And Rechava, much to his credit, accepts this counsel, accepts this limitation, shows tremendous restraint, and he stands down. He doesn't try and go and recapture uh, the, uh, the, the huge component of his nation that has rebelled against him. Now, up until this point, Rechavam has looked pretty bad. He's made a lot of bad decisions. And Yeravam has looked like the reasonable one. He's been the one genuinely representing the needs of the people. Yeravam looks like the good guy, Rechavam the bad guy. But now things radically shift. Firstly, as I just noted, Rechavam, by listening to Shmaya Hanavi, demonstrates some very noble qualities. And secondly, in the remainder of the Perek, Yeravam takes a turn very much for the worse. He 
recognizes correctly that as long as the nation was making regular pilgrimages to Yerushalayim, Rechavim would always have uh, a chance to win their favor and always have a certain cachet. So Yerushalayim builds two altars, two temples, um, uh, two alternate temples, one in Beit El, one in Dan, uh, one in the kind of the northernmost and northernmost and southernmost reaches of his kingdom. He places within them uh, golden calves. He changes the date of Sukkot to be on another month, and he also eradicates the priesthood, allowing any Israelite to serve in that capacity. He makes himself a kind of kohen gadol. Each of these moves are worthy of closer consideration. In a certain respect, he combines the sin of the golden calf from the wilderness with the sin of the Korach rebellion, the latter, of course, being very much on brand for Yeravam because it's this kind of egalitarian ethos, his anti-elitist stance. But the sum total of these changes reflect not only a political upheaval, but a religious revolution, which places Yeravam in a category of wicked leaders, the likes of which we have not really seen since Sefer Shoftim, and perhaps we have never really seen before, period. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz and happy learning.